Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. I have a special guest with me today uh, answering questions and talking about things that parents and caregivers uh, really are interested about. Um, Chris Whipple, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to kind of dive into anything that is water today. Yes, the aquatics person. So Chris actually... um, emailed us and with this awesome idea about talking about water safety and especially uh, here where we're at, we're heading into the summer. Um, so let me let me give a little bit of your introduction. Um, you've grown up around the water and you've harnessed water safety to build a career around water safety. There's a, there's a Frozen 2 reference in here. Tell me about it. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, I think it was kind of just, we've spent a lot of time. I've got a uh, five-year-old and two and a half-year-old at home and we watched Frozen and Frozen 2 along with the Disney set a whole bunch of times and we kind of that scene where Elsa is trying to control the knock to get in there and kind of get to the water and I think that that thought for me has always been like a, the water can be a great place to be there but there's a lot of risks that go along with it and if you can put in kind of the, the steps and the barriers and like all the elements to try and prevent um, and respect the water from where it is, then you can kind of have a lot of fun and it can be a big driver for how you're participating in your life and getting outside and really enjoying yourself. And so that I've, every time I see that scene, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of a metaphor for taking on my past with like lifeguarding and trying to teach people how to swim and kind of climbing the ranks for all of that information. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, you've worked for everyone else will think of that too when they see when they see that uh, you've worked for universities, community centers, summer camps, water programs, providing management of aquatic programming and operations for 15 years. Um, you're nationally registered emergency medical ten- technician and certified pool operator. You are an American Red Cross instructor, trainer, educator, uh, and I don't know if we talked about this, but I um, I also went through the the WSI program. I taught swim lessons um, through the Red Cross for a couple years in college and and did lifeguarding. So I would have taken my courses with someone like you, I think, right? Yep. So I, I kind of teach all of the levels for those classes. So for that one, I actually just got back from teaching a number of classes out in California and getting a couple summer camps off the ground and ready to get going for the season. I also teach people to become lifeguard instructors yep. um, so they can teach those lifeguarding classes. And then I volunteer with the Red Cross to teach their instructor trainer academy. So it would be like that top level of how do you go out and teach people how to become instructors to teach those classes as well. So right, I've gotten right. a chance to really dive into that program <laughs> yeah. at all I love it. There's always another level. I noticed that, right? It's like you get your lifeguarding. Okay. Then the next level is water safety instructor. Then the next level is teaching uh, those different people how to get those certifications. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you live in Minneapolis with your wife, Lindsay, and you have three kids that are young, five and a half, two and a half, and you've said four months old. Um, So these are these are some busy years, right, Chris? Yeah, I think it's it's really fascinating from that water perspective. You know, I've spent a lot of time around the water, like making the judgments about like, what would I do as a parent? Or like, oh, if, when I'm a parent, I'm going to do these things. And it's amazing once you have kids, how much how much harder it is to actually follow through on the like, this is the exact way to do this. And so I think I've mm. really started to take over the last few years this approach behind, like, this is what I know to be the right thing to do. And then this is the thing where like, my kid really wants to do this thing. And how do we find that safe balance in between, you know, what's, what's, what's right. good and what do we know is right and all of that stuff. Yeah. Especially since you're outnumbered at this point. Yeah. Um, it's, certainly, it's certainly been a big change over the last four months or so. Yeah. 
and you guys have done 1,000 hours outside, uh, ended the year with 1,100 hours. That is awesome, Chris. Oh, what an awesome childhood. Oh, what an awesome experience for sure. I think even just getting exposed to this group has has really kind of changed the pace. And I, I know for those who are frequent podcast listeners, you kind of hear about all this experience over and over again, but it's uh, has been amazing to see the shift in the mindset of my kids to that expectation of like, can we go outside? Can we go outside? And they just know that's where it's going to go and how positive a change that's been, especially coming off of the pandemic and kind of yeah. spending some more time kind of locked down. It's been a real reframe for what we've been able to do. That's so awesome. I love to hear that. So uh, you did just such an amazing job setting over this outline of topics. Um, and then we, we put out the question for people on social media if they had any questions and a whole lot came pouring in. So so can we start with uh, general water safety? Uh, you say you are the best person as, as a parent to watch your swimmers. So why is that? You know, I think a lot of people would think it would be someone else, the lifeguard, but why, why the parent or the caregiver? Yeah, I think when you're looking at that setup, you ultimately are going to know your child or children better than anyone else. So you're going to know where they're comfortable and what they're not comfortable and what, um, you know, what they're capable of being able to do. You can recognize this, you know, even as something as simple as like when they need to go to the bathroom, probably better than someone else. But I challenge you to really think like a lifeguard. So if you are a 15 or 16 or 17 year old or college student that's showing up to a busy pool or an open water recreation space. Minneapolis has a number of lakes that have guarded spaces with a ton of people. You're one person that's often watching 20 or 30 or 40 or a hundred or 200 or 300 people within a space to be able to get that information. So the, you know, the, the busier or bigger it gets, you know, you're the lifeguard can't watch your child all the time for the time that they're in the water. And so, um, you know, I, I, I am a huge advocate of being there, of being around the water and participating in these activities, but knowing that you really can't, um, you you can't expect someone else to be responsible for your kids as you go by the water. And it's it's pretty straightforward when you say it, but it's amazing how much those distractions can get into place. So when you go to the beach, if your ideal day is reading a book, the further you are into your book, the harder you're going to see that. Even the quick conversations or like a duck away to a cell phone is I know how fast my two and a half year old can be when he wants something or needs to get into an area. And it's like how, you know, it's not as big a deal if he's running into the backyard versus if that backyard has a pool that's sitting right next to it and to being able to get into spaces. And so I think that's, that's just a, a big one that if you can own when we're going to be around the water, I'm going to dedicate the time to be able to watch them and not have distractions from the background or get lost in conversation to do those um, is going to work out well. I also highlight the idea of like, if you get into group environments, being able to have like a, where you've got a number of parents that are together and you do want to catch up as designating a parent to be like the water watcher and even mm -hmm. having like a card or a whistle or some sort of marker to say like for this 10 minute period or this 15 minute period, I as Chris am responsible for watching this space undedicated, uninterrupted, and then a new parent can come in and replace me and give a fresh set of eyes. Um, if you are going to split that duties or if you've got somebody that's there. So if you are throwing a party in your backyard, or if you're inviting people over to do the pool, you've got somebody who's dedicated to say, I'm going to be responsible for this space at this time, um, just to make sure things are going the way they want. Yeah, I love that idea of even having, like you said, something physical that you hand off. We were just yesterday at a at an outside event, it wasn't a pool event, but I heard a, 
a mom say to the dad, you've got so-and-so right now. You know, I think she was going in to go to the bathroom, you know, and it's different, different when you're on land, but when you're dealing with the water, like you said, just to have a whistle or something that signifies that that person truly knows <laughs> they're on duty, right? Yep. It's that physical reminder. I think the hard part is like for, um, for drowning, a lot of things don't, especially with kids don't work the way that you would see it in movies or on TV shows. Drowning is a really quiet event a lot of times for kids. So what will happen is a kid will get into water over their head and then not be able to either resurface or is there. So you're not necessarily going to hear, uh, like a lot of yelling or screaming or thrashing. There may be none of that. And it goes from somebody being, you know, alert and along the edge and just losing, um, yeah you know, the space from where they are. The other big marker is like, as a parent, if you can be aware of like what the depths of the waters uh, water is from where you swim, a lot of pools will put out like a safety barrier where the water is transitioning from like five feet to the deep, like three and a half or three feet of water to five feet and then a lane line. And then like the deep water beyond that, where the slope actually occurs. But I know that none of my kids are five feet tall right now. So if they're bouncing around in that like quote unquote shallow area, you're going to hit a point in time where you're not able to touch the bottom of the pool in the area that you've deemed as safe. And so being able to, as a parent, either set up a, a boundary or a space that might not just be those barriers, um, you know, is, is I think really important. Um, yeah. It's, I think it's that slope, you know, that tends to be a problem. Cause like you said, all of a sudden they're over their head and they can't, they can't write themselves. Um, and so, yeah, that's tricky. It's the same thing in a lake, uh, you know, where you had that gradual, gradual increase of depth. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, um, so, cause I used to lifeguard and, um, there's this metro park system here where we live in Michigan and they're fantastic. So I lifeguarded at one of these metro parks and I was, it was so fun. It was a really cool job. Um, but they were really strict, obviously, you know, it was all sorts of training that happened throughout the summer. Constantly they were sending people in to monitor almost secretly, you know, to make sure that you were doing your job. But I've gone different places and noticed that the lifeguards maybe are not constantly scanning you know, that type of thing. So, you know, if someone is going to a place for a first time that has lifeguards, you know, is it is it important to kind of look and see what kind of lifeguards are there? I'm always looking because I used to do it. And I'm like, oh, well, these lifeguards are great. You know, they're always looking. These ones, maybe not so much. Um, is that something for parents to look for or should they just really depend on themselves? No, I, I think absolutely. I, you know, as, as we, I look at drowning, it really is kind of a, like a process in order to prevent drowning. It, it's kind of like a multi-layered system. So one element in of itself isn't going to, isn't going to save you or kind of be the protection, but if you put in enough barriers or layers um, in place, you can do that. And I think one of them is certainly having like well-trained lifeguards that are on site. I think a few things to line up for is you're going to go look at your pool or your lake or kind of your, your, body of water where you're going to go swim is one, do your lifeguards look professional? That goes a long way in terms of just, I think a very quick scan into how well that they've been trained. Do they look like they're in uniform? Are they alert in their stand? Um, do they have some sense of moving around? So they, did you plop in your chair and slouch over and for 30 minutes, I'm going to sit here and then move to the next spot right. and appear to be dozing off as hard. Um, you know, I think we train our lifeguards to actively be searching the water kind of at all times. And so you're, you should be able to see, you know, the head moving from side to side and they're looking at the top of the water and the bottoms and the corners. There's a lot of places to 
hide, you know, as there are cool pool designs that are out there, the more lazy rivers and features and all that, the more blind spots for a lifeguard to be able to find. And so they should be taking the time to actively look for um, that, that space and water to be able to get those, you know, from that lifeguarding perspective, they're also thinking an emergency can kind of exist anywhere and mm-hmm. um, in that one. And so I think hopefully in their heads, they're going to just be thinking about like, what can they do in an emergency and how you're going to respond. And I would challenge the parents in the group to also do the same thing. So when you arrive, where do I go for help? Would my kids know if we get separated mm-hmm. at the beach, do they know to look for a lifeguard stand or go to a particular location or stand perfectly still and I'll come find you? Um you know, I think being able to pre-plan or talk about that as a family as to what your steps are going to be make a really big difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's super important. Um, okay, so we talked about it very briefly, but a lot of people asked about, you know, what does drowning look like? And I remember when I used to lifeguard, we had a, like a, a diving well, you know, and sometimes adults would jump off the diving board and they wouldn't even resurface. You know, like you just assume that when someone goes down, they're going to at least pop back up you know, and kind of be flailing or whatever, but sometimes they go down and they stay down. So, you know, can we talk about, and you talked, mentioned it a little bit, but you know, does it, does it look like thrashing? You know, usually I think it's pretty silent, right? Um, it, yeah, it can be. So you, you may see, so if, if you're going to be a child who has some ability to float or stay above the water, you'll see their head tip back kind of gasping for air. A lot of times they'll describe it as like trying to climb a ladder where the arms are reaching up to be able to get information. Their head will be both above the water and below the water, um, trying to make some progress. But like, once you've gotten to the place where you, you don't know how to swim or you lost control from where they are, you're using all your energy you possibly have to try and just get up and to find air. Um, but like you said, there's a lot of times where you may jump in and end up in deep water over your head and not be able to resurface. So you may still see that same movement underwater, but there won't um, there won't be a, the, that same visibility at the top. It'll occur underwater. Drowning is a continuation, like a kind of a continuum of a process where your your body is deprived from um, having the oxygen needs to function. And so the longer you go without oxygen, the your body functions will start to shut down and um, impact your organs and ultimately impact kind of your brain's um, ability to function from there, ultimately leading to death if you don't stop that process as it comes through. And so... Um, with that one, being able to have some version of fast acting and recognizing, hey, this person isn't swimming like they would normally swim. They've stopped making forward progress in the water. Um, they're there. I, you know, I'm sure for the lifeguarding days, it becomes awfully hard to differentiate a kid who's just splashing up and down and jumping off the bottom from something else. Or, you know, they went down and are trying to explore the bottom and how long is too long for them to be underwater. I think the lifeguard brain is constantly trying to check in on people and see where they are. And has this person changed to another that's another place where though parents are going to have a good gasp of like my child is regularly a really great swimmer and something doesn't look right now versus, Hey, I haven't ever seen this kid swim before. And is this normal? Is that not? Um, And I think it's a a good kind of reminder that when you've got a kid that's like on the edge or questioning your lifeguard, may be spending a lot more attention watching that one kid. And that leaves everybody else in that zone open to, to needing to either be watched or observed in a different set of ways. Cause ultimately they're trying to prioritize their time for what, you know, where's right. my biggest risk right now at this moment. Right. And that may change as you go forward. Yeah. So you say anyone can have an emergency in the water, uh, which I think is such an important statement, right? You know, we're talking a lot about young kids. You have some statistics about, 
young kids ages one to four. Drowning is the leading cause of death beyond birth defects, one to 14. Um, the second leading cause of unintentional injury after motor vehicle crashes. Um, but when you say anyone can have an emergency in the water, what kind of things are you talking about? Yeah, I think above and beyond like drowning cases where it's a like untrained swimmer entering the water to get those is like, you can still have the same list of medical emergencies that take place on land that are in the water. Just the repercussions are if you were to go unresponsive or you're the adult that has chest pain and is having a heart attack and do those, not only that you have that medical event that's taking place, but you also then have to contend with the idea that your body is naturally going to put your airway underwater and you're now taking away, you know, almost another element for where they exist. And so I think that, even if you um, are a, even if you are a great swimmer, or you've got kids who are great swimmers as a family, is I think you should be thinking about how to respond to an emergency and where where they're at. There's a great foundation out there called Drennan's Dream, where a dad talks about a 13 year old who got lost, who one day was winning winning swim championships, um, or like won this heat for swimming races, got dropped off at a birthday party the next day and get a call to say, you know, an ambulance is on your way. Your son was found underwater. Do those. And as somebody who is clearly a very good swimmer, who was either in the right environment, had something to go to go wrong and wasn't observed by the lifeguard or wasn't able to be seen by someone else that's there and really kind of drawing attention to that one. And so I think it's just, um, you know, a, a good reminder to say like, you you can't drown proof anyone um, right. and being able to take that water safety seriously becomes really important yeah yeah whether your kids on the swim team or not other things can happen uh, a lot of people are talking about general water safety so this one came up a lot a lot of people talked about the swimsuit color so this is something you know you're seeing memes about you know um uh so people are saying is it is it as important as everyone says and uh, what should we be what should we be um, thinking about when we're choosing uh, swimsuits? Yep. So um, you're going to compare. I think it's super important when you're choosing your items. The goal is to be able to find as bright a colors as you possibly can that stand out from the surface. So you're going to look for like the neon oranges and neon pinks um, that are going to contrast where your water environment is. I kind of challenge you the next time that you go to the pool, even if there's a little bit of wind or a little bit of ripple, see how hard it is to truly identify things that are sitting on the bottom of the pool or the bottom of the, the water where you're looking, you're going to swim. So if it's lakeside, how much visibility or depth do you actually have when you get in there and recognize like most things that are like blue and green, swim green swimsuits are going to blend into the bottom of the pool. If you've got earth tones or uh, camel swimsuits or like dark greens, it's or even like blacks and browns are going to be really hard to see on the bottom of a lake or even, you know, and then a, a, a kind of the visibility for the space that you're swimming in. And the idea is like, if we want to be able to identify like my kid has gone missing and I need to do something about it and find them, if you can get to them that much quicker, be able to see them in the water, they're good. But I would just challenge, like, if you've got a swimsuit you really like right now, take it to the pool, take it to the lake and put it on the bottom or watch your kid when we swim. And how easy would it be if they go and like lay face down in the water for 10 seconds to see, would I be able to see them if there was wind or waves or even like a little disruption of somebody that's swimming there? And it's amazing how much you 
think you can see underwater until even like the smallest drops or like I said, I I'll often teach with like a fan or just watch for the wind to come up and how much even in a crystal clear pool, you'll lose the visibility of everything on the bottom the way that you your mind perceives it should look anyway. Yeah. So it's a big deal. The neons, high visibility. Um, that's great because a lot of people asked about that. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported, and that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Uh, can we switch to the statistics? Because uh, you had some really interesting ones here. Um, did you kind of want to walk them through? Sure. So I think the first one is that drowning still realistically lives as one of like the leading causes of death for kids um, and that one to four age group as well as like from one to through teenage years. Um, the very youngest group of kids a lot of times is actually not in bodies of water, but just being conscious about toilets and buckets and bathtubs. And, um, you know, that's that's your your one year old and less or you're like your new infant group for where they go. But, um, you know, getting by the water again, it's, it just is a, a big risk. A few ones that stand out is like males have a much higher risk of drowning. Um, so it's there is, uh, That's super interesting. Okay. Cause when I used to lifeguard, 
I never pulled an adult female out of that deep end well. It was always men, a hundred percent were men that were that they would jump off and they, you know, they didn't um they didn't really know how to swim. And I don't know if that is a, you know, a competitive challenge piece. I'm willing to take on a, mm-hmm. a different level of risk with adventure. I'm not sure exactly what I'm getting myself into a look before, you know, a leap before you look operation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 80% is that statistics from there. I think from a socioeconomic standpoint, there's a lot of drivers behind, um, you know, BIPOC individuals having a higher rate of drowning if you're coming from a lower socioeconomic class. Um, I think that's actually tied back to access to swim lessons right. and access to water, but those rates are there. Um, there's also a much higher risk of drowning with um, if you have seizure disorders in place or, or on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. um, from where they are. And so I think just taking special care with um, kind of if, if you have those conditions that are present to really be alert to where they are. I think the other one is um, their Red Cross has put out kind of their basic five water competency steps um, to basically say, you know, if you can do these, you in general should be fairly safe in the water. And then if with those five steps, you can, um, you know, the risk of drowning goes down significantly and it's being able to jump into water over your head comfortably, return to the surface and float or tread for about a minute, um, turn around in a circle and be able to find your exit, swim about 25 yards and then exit whatever body of water you have without using a ladder. So can you pull yourself up from the side of the pool? Can you get onto a dock? Um, wherever else they are. And it's, you know, it's amazing that until you can hit that criteria, which is going to be a little bit older in children, you really haven't taken away kind of a, a big step to a risk or added that true layer of like having the swim conditioning in place. You know, I think the other one is if, if parents don't know how to swim, there's only an 18% chance that their child are going to be enrolled in swim lessons. And so is kind of a generational problem to fix is like, how are we teaching those parents to swim and get those, you know, those children in the water and starting to be exposed to where they are. But it's really like that generational problem to say, not only do I have to fix now, but in order for, to break that cycle, I have to be able to teach those kids and allow them to have kids that are getting in the water right. um, to get those. And so, and, any any way that you can get access and exposure to the water and build a positive water experience and get some level of lessons that gets you to that bare minimum of those five water competency steps goes a really long way yeah um yeah i like those five the five basic water competency skills really stuck out to me because a lot of parents are asking what can i be working on with my child you know, when we're not in swim lessons or we haven't gotten to swim lessons yet or they're too expensive or I can't, you know, can't get there. It's been the pandemic. So I thought those five basic water competency skills are fantastic things to look for and to know about. Um, a lot of people are asking about uh, open water. And, and actually, we just had a question in our Facebook group, I think yesterday or the day before, a big one about open water Uh, Someone was saying that their daughter was going to maybe be going to Lake Michigan with grandparents. She's 11, not a super strong swimmer. Um, You know, what do we do? You know, um, do I let her go? Do I not let her go? You know, what about life jackets? All that kind of thing. So so what's the difference between open water and moving water and a pool? Uh, What should parents be thinking about in those situations? Yeah, I think anytime you're going to maybe take a step back first with that question is like anytime that you're going to be in kind of
kind of sending your kids off to do water activities, I think it should be having a conversation about what your expectations are for those things. So going back to a lot of those general water safety steps of like, my, my child is not a great swimmer. So if we're going to go to this environment, I would, you know, I do need somebody dedicated to watching the water who's not on their cell phone, not distracted by activities, not walking away to the bathroom, or if, if you have to do any of those things, pulling the kid out of the water um, to do those and set expectations up for the family. I, I still have young kids and I've, my wife and I have decided we're not going to allow water activities for right now, unless one of the two of us are present and in that space, which is going to limit some access to where they are, but um, you know, really feeling comfortable um, um, to control those. And I, I think it works well. The other one is for open water space. I love being able to float kids in um, Coast Guard approved personal flotation devices. If you can go out and find um you know, some element for being able to get them in the water and um, do those. It just takes away a level where they're not going to go underwater. Not all of Coast Guard approved flotation devices are going to keep your face out of the water 100% of the time. They may not orient you to like your back with your float up if you go unresponsive in the water, but they are going to keep you at the top of the surface and um, watch for that one. And so I... I envision, especially in like open spaces, my family has a cottage on Lake Ontario and that's where I grew up, um, you know, on, on big water with big waves at times and being able to get some things. And that was just the expectation is a lot of times in the morning I would put my PFD on and that would be just part of the day of being able to go and play and enjoy yourself. Um, that way it takes away kind of at least one layer of concern of like, am I going to drop off to do those? I think any open water space, you really want to think about like, is this a known environment we're going in or is this a space I'm going into the first time? The terrain or conditions, both like on the beach as well as underwater can change at all times. So what, what was a really calm beach today might not be uh, a calm beach. A storm may wash up, you know, logs or rocks or move things that are underwater. So being able to watch for, um, you know, hey, this is our assigned swimming area. Um, they also, you know, it moves on its own. So where are your currents? Are there are there rip currents that exist that are going to pull you back out from the water? And can you spot or identify where water is moving? Just take a minute before you get in the water to look and see are people generally drifting to the to the north or the south or right. the east or the west or in or out? And um, right, because that's the way you can lose your kid. Places pretty easily yep. if there's a strong current and you're looking out ahead of you and all of a sudden they're you know way down the beach some you, can, you can't watch them as well yeah and you're you're bouncing along and having fun in the water you may not know to orient back to this lifeguard chair or this is our umbrella or this is our thing and from from the water looking back does whatever you brought clear enough to identify this is you know this is my space i have one family that would go to a big beach that would just like post a flag that was big and identifiable but it was kind of like wow. you're here or before you go in the water you can swim between you know this marker and this marker and as long as you stay in that zone you're good but if you see yourself drifting you know you need to either come out or reset or swim the opposite direction to be able to go um where you are but i think for for any like open water space especially if you're like not sure about kids or you're sending them off you're comfortable enough to send them with an adult you feel would truly like hold those water safety elements key put them in those coast guard approved flotation devices right. they they're they've gone through the rigors to at least say that they'll do what they need to do yeah. again i think i had partially noted um you know not every single one is going to orient you to like I've fallen off of a cruise ship and I'm in deep water and I need to sustain for a certain length of time. But um, each one is going to, at a minimum, keep 
your body at the top of the water that's going to make it easier for you to find you if something goes wrong. And I think one thing that I learned from lifeguarding is it's not as easy as you would think to pull someone in. Um, You know, that's why they've got those red things, uh, you know, to, to add to the buoyancy. And so if someone's in a life jacket, it would be easier, I would think, to pull them in. You know, um, you know, as people are thrashing and that's kind of a tricky thing. You're not having to hold them up at the same time you're making forward progress with them. You know, in that same sense, if you as a parent are ever having to go in the water to make a rescue or even if you're, you know, you're going to be out with your group. Sometimes I would bring some version of flotation with me just to have that extra support. So I may not be laying on a noodle relaxing, but I might have a pool noodle in my hand just so if I need to be able to reach real quick and grab something. Yeah. I can use it as a reaching tool. I can use it to float myself while I'm trying to take care of someone else if need be. Um, you know, I, if, if caught in some really weird either rip or current, I can at least float and stay at the surface and then figure out what is my next plan to get to safety. Mm-hmm. And as long as I can keep my airway above the water and the airway of the people that are with me above the water, then we can worry about how to get back to the shore when we, when we need to. Yeah. What I've noticed, and um, people are asking about Lake Michigan, is what I've noticed is that life jackets are very common, you know, for kids, for kids and, and adults, you know, they wear them out in the water. And, and I kind of think, like you said, it can make it a little bit more fun, too, as you're floating along, and it's not quite so draining, um, swimming in the open water. I, one thing that I had learned that I wouldn't have probably known is that, you know, my lifeguard training that I did through the Red Cross was only for pools. You know, it's a completely different set of training when you're talking about open water. Um, is that correct? Is that still the yeah, thing? So they, and they have the Red Cross as well as, and I won't solely advocate for them. There's a number of really great organizations that do train for like lifeguards around the country has like a waterfront module that goes into teaching, you know, what, what does it look like if I am making a rescue on a rescue board or need to worry about currents or how do I do a search for a body that's submerged in, you know, a space where you can't see the bottom or you've got a much bigger area to cover. So uh, certainly any lifeguard who's going to be in an, in an open water environment is going to have more training and more specific training to their to their setup as well. Yeah, it just made me realize how much more serious those open bodies are, the moving water, because uh, the training itself is different than from a pool. A lot of people, since we talked about the personal flotation devices, and this is one that comes up all the time, um, are the puddle jumpers. So yep. um, t- can you talk about those and what sort of flotation devices should people be using for their younger kids? A lot of questions. Yeah, and I think early I had used that language of having like a U.S. Coast Guard approved personal flotation device. And so the goal is to be able to find something that has that U.S. Coast Guard approved seal inside of it. You you could look to see the label is usually going to have like what type of activity, you know, the, the traditional vests that are usually like three clips might be uh, for water skiing or water sports or going out and, um, you know, riding on a jet ski, whatever that would be. Um, so they'll have both like, we'll look for what type of activity is appropriate for the vest that you're wearing. You want to look at the size for your child and make sure that it's fit and, um, 
you know, snug and all the snaps can be in place and you're, you, you know, if it, if it has a, a snapper clip, you should be using whatever is on that vest every time for it to be able to get those. So it may not always be uncomfortable unco- to have like the under the leg one for your child, but that's, what's going to keep the vest from popping off of them. If they were to get into deep water where puddle jumpers get interesting is like that shape and style have two like different ratings. There are some puddle jumpers that are, Coast Guard approved flotation devices that are have been set and tested to those. And then I have ones like if I walk into Target, I'll see on the shelf right next to those Coast Guard approved ones, ones that look incredibly similar that say like, this is not a flotation device. This is not, you know, this is just a toy to do something else. And so taking the extra 10 seconds to look at the label goes a long way. I use, I use puddle jumpers for my kids that are in the water um, as we're swimming and feel comfortable. I, they can be controversial back and forth they from where are. they are because they don't put you in your your natural position to like learn to swim horizontally. So if I'm trying to teach you how to s- teach the front crawl, that's you don't need to be in your. I realize on an audio podcast, me flailing my arms <laughs> to the side doesn't do a whole lot of good, but like it doesn't put you in your like natural. I'm going to teach you how to swim position. But as a parent with three kids, it does safely float my children that I can't necessarily have my like hands holding one at all times and gives them a little bit of autonomy to be able to play. But again, I know that they're at the surface and that's not my moment for being able to teach them to swim. That's our moment for having fun in the water and splashing around. When we get into, when we get into swim lessons, again, highly encourage being able to get in the water and do those lessons. We'll take them off. We spend time not wearing them so we can get the, like the functions of the water. I almost always, every time we're in the water, we'll try and get at least my five-year-old to comfortably float as part of that. We're working towards those water company steps. We're not there yet but to get those but i know i can at least get a puddle jumper on and kind of get moving and i've again taken like one level of protection that's in place to do those but i um i would avoid anything that is inflatable they can pop or you can fall out of them the like water wings that i had as a child again i'm flailing my arms to the side nobody can really see that but um is um you know i i would never use those as they can pop off or deflate or get stuck with where they are and at the end of the day any child that you're putting in your personal flotation devices is like you should be actively in the water with them. Mm -hmm. So if they're not comfortable enough to be swimming on their own, like being within an arm's reach to be able to grab or get them or to be able to like reorient them from the water is really going to be your biggest step. Yeah. um, Even with the life jackets, because they can flip. And like you said, they can get stuck with their face in the water, especially for little kids. And and I think, again, that's where a parent is going to know what is my kid comfortable and able to do and what are they unable to do and watch them in a much closer standpoint from where they are. But if you, you know, if you are in water where your child can't touch the bottom comfortably in the entire area where you are or you're choosing to float your child, um, you should be in the water with them anytime that they're in the water. If you kind of use that stand, standpoint, then if it's not quite correctly oriented them for every lesson, I'm not as worried about that, knowing that we can fix a lot of those things when you get access to swim lessons or as they're growing and kind of building their body to right. get through items. So can you talk through sort of this progression of swim lessons? People asked, um, what's the timeline? And then they also asked, you know, what are some things that I can be working on with my child pre-swim lessons um, or even concurrently with swim lessons? What does that look like for, for young kids? Yeah, I think first and foremost, just familiarization with the water for kids that are um, who are really young, just being able to get them like comfortable and building a happy environment in the water, I think is one of the most important items that um, builds up to that one. The um, 
the science behind like learning and progression and truly getting those water companies competency steps is that until your child reaches four or five, any version of some lessons isn't going to be super effective for the long-term like safety of your child around the water. Um, and so anything before that point in time is getting them comfortable in the water, starting to work on skills. I think even as simple as something in the bathtub of getting your kid comfortable with being able to blow bubbles and, um, you know, get their face wet. You can float in the bathtub pretty easily with small kids and getting comfortable with those helps transition to can I do those same skills when we do get out and you know on the water and having fun and I don't when we go out and play we'll usually do those like small little steps not worrying about like a huge swim lesson for the fun times and save lessons for um kind of lesson time I know probably one of the most controversial ones that's popped up question wise for it'll be the most controversial thing that'll say in here because there are parents that are a big fan of like the ISR swim lessons which is the infant survival um style classes is I personally am not a fan of those classes I know there are parents who um swear by getting your very very young infant or toddler in the water and essentially is teaching them to um if they were to fall in by accident how do you turn yourself up and float and comfortably get there and then scream for help from where they are. Um, again, there are some parents that swear by them and do good things. If you're in an environment where you have open water in your backyard with no way to control where they are, it may work. I just have seen kind of the short-term benefits of, you know, saving your toddler from going in, um, really throwing out kind of more trauma or hesitancy around the water or trying to reteach how to swim after you've only been taught how to float and kind of hold that position can have um, some kind of detrimental effects in the long-term growth from where they are. Um, again, I, I know that even in looking at kind of the, the Facebook group from last night, there are some parents that highly advocate for that style. And if it works for you, um, that's great. I certainly don't think it's a lesson for everyone looking at, I think any of the major organizations that go around with swimming, the reason they don't include that lesson is because the science doesn't back up Um that training, you know, it's a, if the Red Cross is saying, we really don't think you should do this. And the YMCA of the USA's are saying, we really shouldn't do this. And the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying, there's no benefit for these, like those really early age groups. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think they match the same way, but like I said, I, that's probably the most controversial opinion I'll throw out on this table. And that, and for some people, they, they work, they work super well and they're here. They're also, um, really, really expensive for what you get at the end of the day. So if you're, if you live on the water and you've got no way to do those, you're here, but you're never going to drown proof your child and being able mm. to be alert and present to what they're doing and build in barriers and hopefully teach them the risks of being around the water and, um, you know, training yourself to what to do in the event an emergency does happen. All of those elements are going to go, I think, further than, what happens if my kid falls in? If I can prevent up until that point, we're, you're going to be way stronger there. And I think that there's some less than success later in life when they get to the age where they developmentally are ready to take on those skills will do much better. Yeah. And again, there are, ex there are exceptions to that rule. There are some parents that swear by those lessons. And if it works for your family, like, great. I'm all for keeping your kids safe. I just don't think it's the best path to long-term success by the water. And for the parents that said, a lot of parents said, the cost is prohibitive. I can't find one that's near me. You know, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're not a lost cause. Their, their kids can still be safe uh, in the, in the near term. Absolutely. And, the and I, I, th I think, you know, 
being being able to keep an eye on your one and two and three year olds as they're going by the waters till they get to swim lesson age um, is important. I think being able to just be comfortable in the water and exposing them to those environments because you can you can still teach you know right from wrong I, the, the same way that I teach my two year old that he can't touch the stovetop is because it's hot. We go over pool safety rules when we're around the water. I I have my kids ask for permission before they get in the bathtub every single time. So when yeah. we get to the pool, it's not a huge surprise to um, that we have to ask before we go into a pool space or before we leave, if I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm going to let somebody know before I walk away from a space where I'm being seen. Um, in that one, I think, Oh, I had a really good thought and that ran away from It'll me. Come so back. Hopefully that It'll one come comes back. back. This episode is brought to you by better help question. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day, read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 code OUTSIDE120. We, um, you talked earlier about uh, working on floating. And so, um, you know, parents had asked, what are some things that I can work on with my kids, you know, um, so you, you had mentioned floating. Um, what are some other things that parents can do I alongside think, their kids? Uh, floating, being able to like enter the water. So can they jump in and enter the water, but then also work on having them climb out of whether it's a, like a pool or onto a dock using their own power. Can I climb up this ladder? Can I kind of scoot myself up the edge of the pool to be able to work on those working on kicks and kind of basic arm functions work out really well. This is my thought from earlier. That's finally come back is when you do get to that swim lesson age, there's also a number of like 
grants and programs and a lot of cities will offer reduced cost from lessons. So if costs are prohibited mm. to you, reach out to the pool that you have where they go, I've never worked at a facility that hasn't had some um, like offset for costs and they, whether it's like they can give you resources to help pay for it, or they've, they've retrieved grants to be able to help cover the cost of um, those swim lessons. Um, I think like get in, get in and do it when you're there. But I, if you can do a lot of the like parent stuff, when, when the kids are young, when they get to be that four or five year old age group, that's where I would really like push to saying, this is, this is my window where I would love to get them in the water and swim. But it's, it's also never too late. You know, we, I took a Mm. gap of some lessons as COVID hit and pools were shut down where we didn't do some lessons as a family for, uh, you know, the greater part of a year to 18 months before we were truly back in the water. And that that may have slowed down our progression of where I would have liked to have been, but it's, it's kind of getting right back on a horse. And my daughter who was three at the time and just starting to dabble in um, items when I was like, this is when I want to start was able to jump in at five and was really successful and had built up more muscle and more coordination and um, was able to do a lot of skills that would have taken a lot longer to build up to the same time frame. The other is um, again, because adults are um, a, like the parents are a big driver for their kids success around the water is like, if you're a, if you're a parent, who's not a very good swimmer, why not do like, uh, I'm taking my kids to do swim lessons and I'm taking adult lessons at the same time, or let's take on this challenge together to be able, um, to look and feel comfortable because as you build your comfortability as a parent up, hopefully you're, you'll be spending more time around the water. The kids will be spending more time around the water. And a lot of those skills will, will build with that exposure and the time. Yeah. I think I answered the question. Yeah. Like you said, well, you work on the kicks, you know, straight legs. That's what we always did. And, um, you know, I don't know. With my own kids, I always try to make sure that they're they try and stay horizontal, either their butts up or their bellies up, you know, because um, yep. as soon as you lift your head up to breathe and your your hips sink, then it's you have to put in a lot more effort and um, so just different things. I mean, actually, I don't know if people can get a hold of them, but the the water safety instructor books. Um, I was actually looking for mine this morning. I was going to hold it up to show you, but then like you said, no one's going to see it anyway. But um, there's all sorts of fun games in there, uh, really good ideas for different ages. So I don't know if those are available to the public or if you can only get them. If you uh, there's a ton of resources online as well. So you can, you can find a list of, um, you know, games to play and do those. Maybe I'll try and track down a couple links for that as well and kind of gather them all together on, um, online and be able to have a resource that's available for parents to just go and check out some fun activities or some like quick tips for around the water. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned it briefly, but for adults, um, are there adult swim lessons? There are adult swim lessons. If you find uh, a good place with them, they, they take on a little bit different methodology. A lot of times that there is some element of being able to build off of like fear of the water, becoming comfortable with the fear of the water that's there. Especially if you, if I haven't been in the water and to swim in and really learn to swim until you're in your thirties or forties, that's a, that's a big barrier to get over. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll work towards the big goals of getting yourself comfortable entering the water, working towards those competency, competency steps, and then slowly building out, um, kind of stroke and form from there. I don't, I don't need anybody to be an Olympic swimmer. I don't need my kids to join the swim team to, to be successful, or if they don't choose that to be their sport, that's great. But I do know, like, I want to make sure that they know how to swim. And it really is a, like a lifelong, 
um, skill. It's one of the very few, I think, sports you can dive into and still be participating, you know, and kind of until, until the very end. So um, once you have it, I think it's great and kind of just keep using it. Right. You did this really cool thing where you walk through different ages. So younger kids, um, and we've covered some of these things, but always asking permission before entering the water, um, the gradual slant, talking about that. Uh, one of the things you said is to take breaks. Yep. I love, I love to kind of build into your time frame where you're just taking a break to build in rest for a couple of reasons. One, um, being able to have access to, do we need to stop and use the bathroom or change your swim diaper or get something that's there is like for any environment, if you got your like little baby Ruth floating through the pool, it's going to shut you down for the day and end activities. So as a parent, if you can take that moment to make sure the bathroom stuff is taken care of, it's good, but it also gives you two other ones, build in a little bit of time where even if you don't have to use the bathroom during that window, we're going to take like five minutes to just like rest and reset and make sure that we, everybody, you know, has your snack is drinking water. It's going to be like reapplying sunscreen because any of your outside activities trying to stay safe um, from that environment. But it's like my chance as a parent to also go back and check like energy level wise, where are we, are we needing, right. you know, are we starting to get to that cranky phase? Am I starting to run out of, of steam from where they are? And it's accountability. If I know I'm going to stop once an hour and take this like five or 10 minute break. Now I can also like, I've accounted for my kids. We've kind of got all of our stuff together. We're here. So it's not going too long before you've kind of checked in with your group. And we do this um, kind of heading to the beach with a group of friends. If that expectation is everybody who's in that same group is going to take that same break. We can just check in and see where people are at, or maybe we need to change activities or change which toys we're playing with or kind of redirect where they are. Mm -hmm. But it's just a nice standpoint of if that's built into the expectations of the day to have that stop, then we do. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because if kids are getting tired, right, and they may not have the stamina anymore to keep swimming or or those type of things. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And then um, for older kids, you talked about peer pressure and also an automatic stop wacky word. What's that? Yeah. So I think just to notice as they get older, peer pressure becomes a much bigger one. You know, I can't count the number of times either lifeguarding or being a supervisor in some standpoint where, you know, a group, group of kids will be playing in the shallow end. And then one friend is like, let's go to the diving board. And you see, you know, the whole group go and the first right. three people go off the board really successfully. And then you get the one person who is like a little bit hesitant or climbs up a little bit slower or do those, but doesn't want to be the one that's left behind in, in the kids section when they're now the big kid and they can play in the deep end. But if they're not comfortable enough in that space, kids are going to be pushed to do, I think more than they want to do in that environment. And so I think having that conversation with kids to know either what your limits are or what are you comfortable with um, and staying with them and just being alert to where that stops. I love the idea of like an automatic stop work. Like if something's going wrong, um, and being able to have something where there's like the no questions asked, we're leaving right now, or we're going to stop our activity to do those. And it's kind of something as simple as like, we're going to go see the elephants. There aren't any elephants to see, but it's like my way of saying, hey, there's something big that's going on right now. And I need you to not question. I want two more minutes. I'm going to do one more jump. I'm just going to do these. If we're going to go see the elephants, we're ready to go right now. No questions asked. And I will explain it to you when we get to our safe place. I'll explain it to you Mm -hmm. when we've been able to step something else, but like working on something where, you know, as much as you want to push, you can be able to do, um, do those. And I think with older kids, again, it's going to be like, who and where are you allowing to supervise your swimmers? So it, I, again, this is one where 
as a parent of a young kid, it's really easy to say like, man, I'm going to always be with my kids every time they swim. And it becomes much older as they have friends and neighborhood pools and we want to go out to do these things. And so, um, again, being boundaries to if they're going to go swim at a friend's house, if you already talked to those parents, or is there going to be an adult present on the pool deck when they're out swimming? Or are they going to be comfortable? Like, are they on their own? Just knowing what environment you're going to be sending them off to and having your kids hopefully be, um, you know, start to take ownership in the decisions that they're making of like, as a family, we, we don't swim under these conditions and having those rules that are out in place. Sure. Sure. So, uh, Chris, this has been so helpful. Um, can I, I'm going to grab a couple of these last questions here. Um, someone was asking about proper form, you know, how, how important is proper form for freestyle, just for being in the water, um, you know, for maybe a kid who hasn't done swim team, maybe they've done some lessons, but, you know, they haven't quite gotten up to, um, you know, good form. Does it matter? I I think to build to it is great. I don't think it matters as long as if you're going back to those water competency steps, can they, can they swim from wherever they are in the water to being able to get back to the side of the pool? Um, you know, if they were splashed in the face or took on a little bit of water, can, can they safely get to a spot where they can self-rescue themselves before getting themselves in any trouble? And if that is, they can only do it, you know, on their back with elementary backstroke, or they do something on their side, or they're able to doggy paddle to, to safety. If it gets the job done, I think it's great. Doesn't I, I don't think any of it needs to be like legal competitive swimming um, to be successful. But right. the if you can master a good front crawl, it's an efficient stroke in the water that can get you both moving places right. and can kind of accomplish right. a whole I think lot. that's so the point, right? I'd, it takes less energy. Yeah, I'd work to it. Correct. And the less energy you have, actually, the like the stronger rescue you're going to get. Right, to. right. Um, let's do one more because we're running out of time here. A lot of people asked about dry drowning. Yep. Is is kind of an older term that looks back to the idea that like way back in the day, people would die from drowning. But then when they actually did the autopsy part of it, they would find that there was very little to no water in their, like in their lungs from where they are. Dry drowning is really a fallacy. What I would look at is like the current terminology is like fatal versus non-fatal drowning. I think towards the top, we had talked about drowning drowning being a continuum of like a process of my airway has been blocked by water and i'm not getting water back in um up to and including kind of death at the end of that that spectrum and having it become fatal and so i think it's a sensationalized term what i would tell parents to look for is if there's a, a point where your kid has like struggled or been stuck underwater or had to be able to make a rescue take note of what they're doing as soon as you get them back out again if they're normal at the time where they leave the water you're going to be good. You can sit and monitor from where they are, but the chances that they're going to go from being perfectly healthy to um, like dying in the middle of the night, not really existent. If your kid comes up from having that rescue and they are coughing and sputtering and spit up a little bit of water, but they return to normal within that first like few minutes after the incident, you're probably good. I would watch them at home. And if they start to build up a cough, if they were to start gagging, if they start having trouble breathing where it's really increased, if they get sleepy at a time where it's not normally their sleep time, those are all things that I would contact like your doctor for, be able to get follow-up help. If you get out of the water and you can't clear the cough or, um, you know, they were unresponsive when you made your rescue or they're groggy or they're altered in some way, shape or form. If they're having trouble breathing or making weird noises for breathing, those are all things that I would go see a doctor for. Um, More often than not, they get monitored in the ER for 
four to six hours, maybe kind of an overnight scent and we're okay. But like the, the vast majority of fatal drownings are going to be, you are unresponsive by the time you've left the water and your body has already been deprived from oxygen from a really long time. If you're leaving the water, if you're leaving the water normal, you're going to stay normal by the time you're done. And if some event pops up, it's going to be completely unrelated to that drowning. Okay. That's really helpful. Okay. So, um, Chris, you've got a website, um, that you have information on that you're continuing to build out. So if people are, are looking for, um, you got some cool offerings like uh, water safety for parent and caregiver uh, through the red through the Red Cross and an online course. Um, tell parents where they can go to find you. Yep. So we'll go look at uh, whippleaquaticscom slash 1000. If you just do the 1000, um, I will, I'm going to add more information kind of based on our conversation for today to get drowning resources um, that are out and about. You can um, sign up and register for that uh, parent giver caregiver classroom in the water. That's got some really good tips um, just about preparing for the water and kind of extending the conversation that we had here. Um, the other one that I'll throw out there is the Association of Aquatic Professionals has a Respect the Drowning campaign, and I will make sure the link to that um, I send over to Ginny to include with the webcast, but also we'll put on my page to be able to link to just has um, kind of a, a list of steps that'll work towards, um, you know, drowning prevention tips and skills and, and tricks that are there. So if you make it to whippleaquaticscom slash one zero zero zero, um, hopefully you'll find a kind of a suite of tools and a few classes Great. and resources that you can have to kind of further the conversation. Yeah. All my contact information is on there as well. So you can also feel free to reach out by email and I can answer specific questions or um, if you've got thoughts on ISR and you want me to learn more about your program that I haven't seen yet, I'm happy to kind of engage or answer questions from there. And <laughs> you really you'll get a lot of that because <laughs> uh, that's always a big one well Chris thank you so much this is so helpful um, and, and like you said you know to have a place like a little hub where parents can go to look for ideas and different courses and um, like you said, just to further the conversation, because it is such an important conversation and one to come back to often, I think, because our kids are always changing in their ages and stages. So um, so thank you for that. Whippleaquatics.com slash 1000. And you know how we always end it? We always end it with a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours. Yeah, so I spent a ton of time around the water as a kid, but as I was thinking about this question, I realized that it's that moment where it gets like dark at night and you can just take a moment to stare up at the stars and see where they kind of see and take in the world around you. I don't know if I have like a single pinpointed time, but whether it's like by the beach at night or having a campfire or camping out or wherever it is, like this idea, like as you're wrapping up the end of the night, you can like look up and still identify a little constellation or just see like the bigger world around you mm -hmm. um, stands out. And that to my day is still one of my favorite parts about being outside is like to wrap up the day with this like big grandeur in the sky, whether it's in the city with the few constellations I can find or the big, vast, you know, s s wide Milky Way world if you're kind of out further in nature. Oh, I love that. I love that. And something that you can enjoy all the way through your life, uh, just like swimming. Kind of similar. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. This was an yeah. awesome conversation and hopefully parents can walk away with one or two tips that'll hopefully make their summer a little bit safer sure. and a little bit more excited to spend time around the water. For sure. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate it.
Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.